Warning, the BroCR Supercast contains adult content, explicit language, and questionable judgment about the sport of obstacle course racing. You've been warned. We tried. We did it. We tried. Welcome to the BroCR Supercast. It's like a podcast, but also super cool. Now let's dive into the mud and see what's going on this week in the world of obstacle course racing. And welcome to the Supercast, episode three. Uh, today's episode, we've got Leah Hensley and Dennis Welch. Uh, what's up, guys? Hey, hey. What's going on, guys? Uh, it's been a week here. Um, so, yeah, first of all, I want to give a big shout out and a thank you to everybody that's subscribing to us. Uh, holy cow, this is our third episode. We've got plenty of downloads. We are now on Apple. I think that means we're official now. We're pretty official now, I'd say. I'm- <laughs> I'm moderately moderately successful here, but check us out on Apple. We'll have links to everything here in the podcast. I guess if you're listening to this, you've actually found it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. Yeah, but today's episode, uh, Leah decided we should have her first guest, and we brought on our coach, Dennis. Good to be here, guys. Fantastic. So for those of you who don't know Dennis, um, you may see him commenting here and there on, on the various boards for OCR. Um, Dennis is kind of known as a no-nonsense, tell-it-like-it-is coach. Um, he has an extensive background in running, um, both personally as well as professionally, um, starting in high school through college um, until his own personal running career was cut short unexpectedly due to a uh, genetic medical condition. So for those of you who don't know Dennis, Dennis, you want to give us a little bit of a background? Sure, I think they also call that just being an asshole, but um, you know, that's fair. Sure, cut it, code it, but uh, yeah. So, I mean, I've been, I guess, involved in OCR now for going on eight years. Um, did my first one in 2011. Um, I come from more of the running background, like you said. Uh, I ran in high school, was competitive um, in high school. Went to college on a running scholarship, and then um, left that and went to the military. Uh, continued running, continued training, um, mainly was doing marathons and stuff like that, and then got into OCR, um, like I mentioned, back in 2011. So um, from there, I just uh, – basically, I was in a running group in Virginia, and a bunch of the group down there was starting to do OCR. So people were wanting training and stuff, and since I came from that background and I enjoyed coaching, I started the Endurance Project, and that's kind of where we're at today, eight years later. And now we've got over a hundred athletes all over the country, a few international, um, YouTube being two of those hundred plus, and uh, Woo! that's pretty much where we're at right now. Sounds awesome. Good. So, what was your distance and discipline specifically back in college? Well, in high school, actually, I ran the eight hundred and the the mile. That was the two big ones. Um, okay. I dabbled a little bit in the two miler, but I, I liked more of the speed stuff. Um, then I went into college and I still stayed with those two. Well, it became the 1500. Um, you know, it's just the metric distance of the mile basically. Um, yeah. and then the 5k and stuff, of course, um, I was decent 5k, but I liked, uh, I liked the mile and 800 better. Um, okay. I've always been kind of the short, fast type of speed guy. That, that's what I enjoyed the most, but, um, you know, the older I got, the slower I got. So I decided to get more into the longer stuff. And then I found OCR and 
my speed transferred over well to that, and I did pretty good for a few years until I came down with the ARVC um, diagnosis that uh, Leah mentioned. And you want to tell us a little bit what that's about? Yeah, so ARVC um, essentially stands for arrhythmogenic right ventricular cardiomyopathy, which is yeah, quite that's the, a mouthful. Yeah, yeah quite the mouthful. <laughs> but um, so essentially, it's um, what happens is just like any other muscle, as it contracts and um, expands, um, when it comes back to normal, it repairs itself and it recovers. Well, with ARVC, over time, um, in between the muscle fibers, scar tissue and um, fat deposits can form in between the fibers, and essentially it messes up the electrical uh, pulses. So it's like adding a resistor into an electrical circuit um, that starts okay. going a little bit bananas. So then you start getting arrhythmias, um, tachycardia. Weird spasms. Yeah, yeah. In, in the ventricles, and um, that's basically what it is. And some of it, um, you know, they're pretty certain now that, now that it can either be caused by a virus or it can be um, enhanced, you know, it happens by uh, endurance training and stuff. Um, in my case, it's genetic, but okay. like my mother has a gene, my aunt has a gene that we know of right now, but they've never, they've never presented with symptoms, um, you know, and a lot of people won't. So in my so case, it got maybe... turned on. Yeah, my, it, it got turned on essentially because of my, you know, background mm -hmm. with training and running and um, high intensity okay. athletics. So, from what I'm understanding from you, from your history, you know, you went from this pretty successful running background, um, as as well as in the OCR. Um, you know, for those that aren't aware, you were part of the four-man team, the Wolf Pack from World's Toughest Mudder. What was that, 2014? Yeah. Um, where you? Oh, I didn't know you were part of that in 2014. Okay. Yeah, he was part of that team and, and okay, killed it with World's okay. Toughest Mudder. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So, you know, what was it like personally to go from essentially building this high career as, a, as an athlete, as a runner, and then go from one day having it all and then getting that diagnosis and having to stop completely. Um, that sucked, obviously, to say at least. I mean, I went, like you said, that year. Um, you know, I was World Toughest Mudder. We trained for that. You know, me, Hunter, uh, Mark Jones, and Miguel, um, we ended up winning. And, you know, you're kind of riding the high off of that. And I was, you know, still training. And um, that year, 2000, well, the following year, 2015, no, 2014. So the following month after we won, I actually moved up to Rhode Island from Virginia. And okay. um, so got up there and was training and doing really well and was actually preparing for World Stuff for 2015. We were going to go back as a team again and, and do it again, um, okay. see if we could win back to back. And ironically, uh, a couple of weeks before World Stuff with Smutter was when I had my first episode. So I was kind of freaking out because here I couldn't even run 10 minutes without going into VTAC and I'm supposed to do, you know, World Service Mudder. Yeah. Um, so, of course, my wife was freaking out. She didn't want me to go. And um, I was concerned about going too. you know. So luckily, like my daughter was being born that week. So I could use that kind of as an excuse instead of saying, hey, guys, I got some weird heart shit going on. Right. Uh, so I was kind of yeah. able to use that as a. So, I mean, I w obviously, I wasn't going to miss my daughter's birth, but I was able to use it as an excuse until I found out a diagnosis eventually. And it took them about, uh, I guess, about 18 months before they finally um, was able to diagnose it. But 
Um, okay. I continued trying to train through it the best I could here and there, and then um, it would clear up for a little bit and go away and come back and go away. And it was pretty stressful 18 months. And then once they finally diagnosed it, you know, all last year was pretty shitty because it was – I was officially diagnosed in – june 2017 so most of the 2017-18 was kind of you know a bit on the depressing side um i'm sure it was a read i mean it, it sounds like you basically had to redefine you know your purpose at that point oh 100 i mean it was you know i've always obviously always loved the coaching thing and now i've turned pretty much my entire focus on that but you know it was even if i wouldn't have been able to train like you know, and be competitive anymore. Like it sucked more so like not be able to just go out and um, train with my high school kids that I coach, you know, like absolutely for a couple miles or, you know, just the stuff that I did that was a part of my everyday life was now all of a sudden um, pretty much stopped overnight, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, that's not a scenario that and as being athletes back through college and high school, Leah, did you do collegiate sports at all or? Um, I was a cheerleader. Um, I didn't get into running at all until, um, my, my early adulthood or middle adulthood. So, I mean, I personally can't relate to the stories of people talk, you know, I'm a runner. I've always been a runner. You know, that's my, you know, I can't relate to the runner's high or anything like that. Even after years of training, I still hate running. Um, but you know, meeting people and you, you see them light up when they talk about running or, you know, their sport in particular. And I know Dennis is definitely one of those people. It, it oh, must have been a, a very difficult transition, but I think what's most remarkable about the whole situation is that you have now turned that passion into coaching. Whereas a lot of people oh, throw their hands up and say, fuck it and walk away. And you know, like I, I can really resonate with a lot of that from Dennis. So back when I was in college, so um, some people know and some people don't. I was a I was a nationally ranked pole vaulter. Oh, nice. That was that was kind of my jam uh, back in the day. So I had a lot of burst speed, but I was never in endurance because I had Osgood Schlutter's disease in both knees and really couldn't run that well until my growth plates got done closing up. Uh, so. But then kind of like through a variety of different things, I only ended up running and jumping my freshman year of college. And then um, I kind of quit and went to uh, went to the corporate world and just got a desk job and kind of been riding that out until OCR. So it's one of those things that in coaching or finding a new discipline or finding something within that um, that realm of like athleticism or finding something, there's always something that you can do and find something else to put yourself towards. And that's the beauty of it. Yeah. I mean, a hundred percent. I mean, you know, a lot of people have messaged me or, you know, when I've met them in person, been like, I don't know how you do it. Like I would have just walked away and said, you know, fuck it. And like, um, you know, I know how you can coach and still be around it. And I'm like, well, why should, you know, why should everybody else suffer, you know, or not like get coaching or, you know, for me to turn my back on everybody else simply because Absolutely. I can't do it anymore, you know? Um, and especially with the community in OCR, cause we're a tight knit community. Absolutely. And, you know, runners are the same way in the, the whole group endurance world. I mean, it's, if I just, I, it would be way worse if I just had to quit completely and be like, Oh, I oh. can't ever have anything to do with it again. Like that mm-hmm. would have been 10 times harder, you know? Um, exactly. especially, you know, cause obviously I, and I don't know for sure, but you know, my, my kids may end up growing up and be runners or, you know, whatever they are, you know, athletes they want to be, but 
So, yeah, to say, like, yeah, I'm just going to walk away from it completely because I came down with ARVC would, would have been pretty selfish, mm-hmm. and kind of stupid, really. But So let's talk about this program that you've developed now. So, I mean, you've now thrown your full heart into the Endurance Project, which is an online training community, um, for those that don't know. And, um, you know, we're, we're seeing more and more of these online coaching programs kind of pop up, um, you know, different camps and programs and, you know, whatnot. What sets the Endurance Project apart and what, what do you think is different about your coaching style compared to others? Um, I mean, my style is obviously a little different um, in the sense of some of the modalities I use. I mean, you guys know i big fan of the tire pulling, um, yep. lots of different stuff. I mean, if the athlete has access to the tire pulling or, you know, water running, you know, things of that nature, incline training, um, you know, I essentially, I mean, coming from a running background, it's always been, you know, everybody's got the mindset that, you know, you need to run more miles to be a better runner. And to a degree, that's true. But um, for the most part, everybody, you know, comes up with that uh, assessment based only on the elite athletes and what they're doing. And, you know, it's clear to see now, you know, OCR is a good example of it. I mean, you've got top runners and top athletes. I mean, people are still, for the men's side, still capable of running, you know, say sub 15 for the 5K or, you know, oh, yeah. for the mile and stuff. And yeah, is it world class? I mean, are they going to win an Olympics? No, but that's still a damn good, you know, time running. And they aren't putting in the crazy miles like they used to, you know, before. And I think they've just realized, you know, that more variety and more, you know, um, diverse training is just as good, if not better, than putting in all the miles. And I think that's, you know, where I've kind of pushed my training towards more holistic approach and. Basically, getting athletes to enjoy it for the long haul. Um, obviously, improve performance, but to to enjoy it and you know make it a lifestyle rather than just you know going out and pounding through mileage. Um, so, I mean, you guys are familiar with it. Like I said, compared to most programs, um, it's not a ton of running. Um, it is a good amount, though. Um, oh, it's definitely a good amount. Once the once the runner builds up to that, and that's the thing. I'm not anti mileage like everybody thinks. It's just that once I, I don't really program it, so I think the runner um is ready and prepared for that and as far as the program um i've just you know i've always wanted to get my methods and my ideas out there to the masses but not so much to push an agenda but to just basically build a community and i think i think that part sets us apart the more than anything else is uh you know as you know in the private group we have I and mean, we have over 100 members uh, oh yeah mm-hmm. we have doctors in there we have lawyers we have everybody and it's just become a huge community. And um, that's what I've always wanted to see it grow into is where people can show up at a race and know somebody in the, on their team or, you know, mm-hmm. basically I, the long version is I'd like to bring it to basically any major city so that if you're on business travel or right now I'm, you know, I'm in Maryland, I'd like to be able to show up and know that there's an endurance project uh, group run or group workout happening this evening, you know, and I can just pop in and do it, you know. Mm-hmm. That would be really cool. That would be awesome. To see in bigger cities, that would be pretty neat. Like, hey, we're all doing, we're doing this workout tonight, you know, come meet us here. Mm-hmm. That well, would be a really cool thing. What I think is also really cool about the the endurance project is is the fact that there are so many different, not only different people, but different disciplines as well. 
you know, you have the ultra marathon endurance runners, you know, running hundreds of miles across several states. You have the short course, you know, what once was TMX kind of style runners. You have, you know, your elite OCR athletes. You know, you, you are now representing oh, several, yeah. several elite athletes that, um, you know, that our listeners will know. Um, so, yeah, who, who are have... some of your elite athletes that you're training right now, Dennis? Just give kind of our listeners an idea here. Um, well, re- top tier. Recently, last several weeks, I started working with uh, Rebecca Hammond. Um, mm-hmm. you know, she's obviously a big name in the sport. Um, up-and-coming athlete. She, I think, took second at World's both World Championships last year for the yep. OCRWC, mm-hmm. I think the 3K, and then also the Spartan World Championships. Um, yep. Uh, North class, American. North American. Yeah, North America. Well, and at the Spartan Race World Championships, right? Yeah, Tahoe. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Tahoe she did, yeah. Um, so, obviously her. Um, I just picked up, like, literally, like, on Sunday, um, Aaron Ross, the girl that got second. Yeah, Ross. She's a yes, the um, surprise athlete that nobody knew that all of a sudden came in and beasted World's Toughest Mother. Yeah, Super. she's going to be – she she's gonna be exciting to work with because she doesn't come from a running background or anything like that but she's had a huge um background she was like a competitive uh power lifter or bodybuilder she was uh really okay she was a like boxer um Fine. did crossfit i mean she's basically done a lot of shit and um she, you know she's not just a pure runner you know she's um actually wasn't even a runner really at all she just is kind of getting into the running part of it so mm-hmm. Um, last year when she did world's toughest, like her marathon time was over four hours, um, okay. compared to someone like Araya who's under three hours, you know, so right. for her yeah. to be that close and for her to put up 75 miles in those conditions without a running background, um, it was not a pretty day. Yeah. So I'm excited because, you know, like I told her, if I can turn her into a decent runner, like she'll, she'll really crush it. Then. I mean, she's for super sure. gritty. Oh Yeah. Absolutely. Who, who's who's an athlete that you would love to just get your hands on and, and be able to train and work with? Ugh, that's tough. Um, I don't. I guess in the pro scene, or if I had to choose, I'd probably. When I was thinking about this the other day, um, probably Alyssa Hawley. Something about her, like mm-hmm. just super gritty, and you know, she's another one that doesn't necessarily come from a running background, but just. Mm-hmm is always in the mix, you know, even with the top running girls and um, she's strong. Yeah. I mean, she's like, Oh, she is strong. You know, I, I hate to say bigger girl. Cause that's kind of probably the wrong <laughs> thing to say, but I mean, she, you know, obviously muscular, you know, strong, grittier. from a soft, softball background, I guess. And yeah. um, she does construction. I mean, she just kind of a beast. So like, I think getting someone like her with her like mental grit and capacity and then actually make them a legit runner. Right. Um, I think like working with her would be pretty cool. That's definitely cool. A guy that I'd love to see you like work with one of these is Bashimi. Jordan Bashimi. That kid is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I see. Yeah, he seems like he's uh, got some serious talent too, and he's got a lot of natural talent. He's he's been no, rocking the know. Midwest scene for a couple of years, and I think he was just picked up by the Spartan Pro team this year. So yep. I think he'll, yep, he was. He'll gain some more national coverage in the next. He did year. pretty good at the. Jack's race, right? He did do good. Like 15 or yeah. something, right? Yeah. 15. Yeah, and he's he's won a few Spartans, some of the smaller, you know, Midwest-based ones. 
Well, you know, you know it's, it's interesting because um, speaking about him, he, he kind of reminds me and maybe even a little better athlete naturally or at least a better runner. But he reminds me of like where Kimpson was. Ryan Kimpson was a few years ago. Um, That's fair. That's a good comparison, I would say. When we, when I was still running, I mean, you know, I would race uh, Ryan and his brother, and I'd usually, you know, we'd bounce back and forth. I'd beat them some races. Ryan never beat me. I'd beat Ryan a million times, but Matt and me would bounce around. And Ryan just started, you know, he has he has his methods. He's a lot like me, and he sticks to them, and he he believes in them like wholeheartedly. And nothing like sways him from that, and he's just gradually moved his way up. And now, I mean, you saw what happened at Jacksonville, right? Mm-hmm. He killed it, did great. So, yeah, I think Basimi's going to be if he stays injury free and he keeps progressing. I mean, in mm-hmm. two three years, I definitely yep. could see him, you know, being the top, you know, one of the top guys. I agree. One of the things I liked about Basimi that I've talked to him so many times on Bruce CR and everything is he talked about how he has goals but he knew he wasn't ready to go there yet because he didn't want to make a fool of himself he didn't want to go to like the national series and be like oh i'm gonna go and take a top 10 like he was going in it cautiously because he wanted to back himself up and i respect that oh sure he seems much more much more grounded so you've made the comment a couple times dennis about making somebody a better runner i mean what how how do you do that (laughs) you know for for people who are listening that you know want to be better and have always subscribed to that, well, I'm just going to keep running every day five miles or 10 miles or, you know, keep racking up the mileage and that's going to make me better. How, how does someone focus on getting better? Um, well, I mean, it's like anything else. You know, I think running is interesting in the sense that uh, for some reason, um, those that don't really come from the running background or don't know much about it, the mindset is, like you said, go out and just keep running and get faster each day or, try to run harder each day or, you know, run their neighborhood loop faster, a bit faster than they did the day before. Um, but I think if you step back and you approach it like you would any other sport, um, you know, if you went to the weight room, you wouldn't necessarily go in and do deadlifts every single day or you shouldn't obviously. And if you were smart, you wouldn't. Um, <laughs> so it's kind of the same thing with running. I mean, you know, I think you actually are a good example. When mm-hmm. I reached out to you when you had your, uh, embolism issue mm-hmm. or your heart issue there last couple of years ago. Yep. Um, you know, I reached out to you more so because you kind of had some of the same symptoms I did. So I was more concerned about your health. So I reached out to you like that. And, um, yep. and then we started talking and, you know, I was getting you ready to try to get ready for world's toughest. Um, yep. but you were the type where it was basically go out and run as hard as you could. Oh, for sure. Um, and it was not uncommon for no matter what, type of run you did for your heart rate to be up in the 190s you know or 200s even mm-hmm. um, so obviously we step we stepped back and we started you know actually focusing on certain types of runs threshold runs or certain heart rate runs and um i think you've seen the benefits of that and i i mean that's you know when you start bringing in a runner who's not got any background in it you can still take the basic metrics like you would anything else you can you can determine their threshold. You can determine their heart rate. Um, if you can get them tested to do, say, VO2 max testing, you can you can work with whatever you have and whatever those numbers are. And then, of course, you would want to improve those by throwing in the threshold type training or working at a certain percentage of VO2 max. And um, for most, it's actually 
hold, not, you know, not pushing them too hard. It's actually holding them back. Like most runners need easy runs, which most don't do or don't want to do. Mm-hmm. And it's that low end aerobic that is really important. And almost any runner can improve if they start incorporating just that alone. Got to go slow to go fast. Yeah. Oh, agreed. Essentially. Um, you know, the mindset is always like, well, go fast, go fast, go fast. And there is a time for that. But if you don't have the aerobic capacity, which is built from, you know, the more longer steady runs, the slower intensity runs, you know, building up mitochondria, building up all that. I mean, if you can't, if you can't build that up, then you're limited and you can only do so much in an anaerobic state. So, um, you're basically only going to be as good as your aerobic engine will allow. Makes sense. So you look at, let's say, Lindsay or Ryan, you know, Atkins, um, they got tested. Actually, me and Peter Dobo set up some testing for them in Canada like, last year, and they went and got tested in a lab uh, with by some of Peter Dobo's uh, friends at the lab there in uh, Toronto. And both of them, a huge background of, you know, the long aerobic training, you know, skiing, mountain biking, all the stuff they do for day-to-day life hiking in the mountains for 10 hours a day and stuff they both could hold 92 percent of their vo2 max for like basically ever which is why holy smokes okay yeah which is why if you like that's the thing like their their vo2 and stuff is impressive and their their numbers are impressive but not you know not quite i mean world class but not like top of the top but what is, what, what is the top of the top for them is how long they can sustain a percentage of their VO2 max. And if you watch them in races, that's why they do so well because it's not that they speed up in the second half of the race. It's just that they they're not dropping and everybody else slows down. Right. Yeah. They're going to see less like pull on that. And that, that's really interesting. Yeah. Cause now, let's say you had two P, you know, if, if they're running against someone that's equivalent speed, equivalent ability for the most part, but that person can only hold, you know, say 90%, 92% of their VO2 max for 30 minutes. And Lindsay and I can hold it for 45. Well, you know, do the math. As long as they don't fail, they're going to win, you know? They, right. Yeah. So. Well, I mean, that brings up a point, you know, predicting that they're obviously top of the game. Where where do you see the sport progressing to in this season? You know, we're, we're just now starting the season. And, you know, we, we've mentioned Jacksonville and, and Kempson kind of come out of nowhere when. What are the things that you're looking forward to seeing this season? Um, obviously, you know, it's nice to see someone like Ryan up there, you know, kind of. I've been saying it forever, and I even predicted that Jacksonville, like he'd be on the podium. Um, and I mm-hmm. told him so. But I think you'll continue to see him up there at the top, um, you know, especially this next flatter course and it's going to be muddy uh wet again and it'll favor him big time yeah i think Um, i think alabama we can see that i see that coming on (laughs) yep and he's you know a lot of people say like well you're just you know you're a fat flask runner but he he's you know last year he won killington um you know the beast there um he beat out guys like bracken he beat out Mm uh the a couple others um so he's improved that too and he's he's a good study of the sport. So he'll train based on what he needs to do for each race. So um, I'm sure his training right now for the first few months was, was mainly flat, fast stuff because that's what those first two races were. But 
Um, as it goes to the mountains, I, I expect he'll still be prepared. I mean, as long as he can deal with the altitude, I think he'll be fine. Yeah, the altitude's definitely going to be the – and as always, it's so goofy that we have – I feel that we have the championship there at somewhere like Tahoe where you do have elevation. Yeah, you know, I hope this year they'll get away from that. I mean, there's a reason why the Summer Olympic Games only did one attempt at altitude in Mexico City in 68, and it's never happened again because they they saw what it did to everybody. It basically, yeah. the, that, that was when the Kenyans came out and actually, like, was there, you know – Everybody was like, who, who the hell is these Kenyan runners? Because they were the only ones that were really able to handle mm-hmm. the altitude. Exactly. So, exactly. yeah, I mean, I, and on the women's side, I mean, I think you're going to see similar to what it's been, you know, the, the, top, the top same three or four girls. But then it'll be interesting because right now you, you look at, like, Nicole Miracle. She's racing like crazy. She just raced mm-hmm. two races this last weekend. She mm-hmm. raced a Schemo race the week before. She did, yep. you know, two more races. You know, it's so – it started so early this year, the season in February, that it's going to be interesting to see who can make it all the way to the championship series you, before they break down or get beat up, you know? And that was kind of like my – I think there's a there's some beauty to it in having like one race a month. And that's that gives them – but you can't be going off and doing other things like – I mean, I just got done writing a thing today about OCR and burnout and how – for the longest time here, like five years ago, it was nothing for athletes to go around the U.S. and race every oh, single weekend. And back-to-back, back, Saturday and Sunday. Yep. Oh, for sure. I mean, when I first got into sport 2011-12, I mean, that was the norm. I mean, um, every, I mean, both race, both days, Saturday, Sunday, and yep. damn near every weekend um, all over the country. Um, yep. When me and my wife were doing it, I mean, we basically stayed within driving distance. So, I mean – when we were in Virginia, it was kind of a good central location to make, you know, yep. Carolina ones. We, you know, went up to Tuxedo a couple times, I think. and Wintergreen. Uh, Wintergreen. Yeah. So that that was fine. But, yeah, I mean, and that's why I try to tell a lot of the athletes I coach is if you, if you get into doing that, where, where it becomes a problem is not so much the racing itself, but you figure – you, you know, you taper, you start tapering maybe a couple days out or, you know, most people do. And then they mm-hmm. travel to the race and, you know, jet lag and all the traveling and in the airport and all that shit. Then they race. Then they recover for the next two or three days after. And then they mm-hmm. do it again. It's like they're always in a perpetual state of like right. tapering, racing, recovery. Recover. And yep. you can yeah, never like, continue. You can't continue the progression. And, you know, I know personally speaking, I found myself in that cycle. I was... I was, you know, every race, all the races, you know, hashtag all the races was, you know, my thing for a while. And I've got a beautiful wall of medals that has every different kind of medal there is. But, Mm -hmm. you know, I was really good at being mediocre and, you know, I could do these races and just kind of stay middle of the pack and, you know, fight (laughs) nagging injuries. And, you know, it took me a couple of years to kind of outgrow that and be like well hell you know this is this is an expensive sport and it's time consuming and to be traveling and doing all this stuff and not getting anywhere with it you know it it eventually became very frustrating so I've definitely seen scaling back for me has been much more success yeah absolutely and I you know I hope as OCR builds and it seems like this new guy for Spartan hopefully you know takes better care of the, the top athletes and stuff. And I hope eventually it'll get to the point where it's like other sports where 
you know, you maybe only race once a month or, you know, once every couple months. Um, because that's the thing is you look at like the top athletes and it's all, I mean, it's, it's near impossible. I mean, Atkins and, you know, his wife and Alvin might be the only ones that stay at the top, top for consecutive years. Everybody else, they have their year and then they fall apart. Mm-hmm. They, they, they maybe build back or they don't, or, you know, you look at like, Robert Killian that first year he came out he yeah. crushed it yeah world championship then the next year he raced like I think it was literally no bullshit like a hundred races or something yeah I think so and it was insane and then he just fell apart pretty much and I know it sounds crazy if you fall apart and you still finish fourth or fifth at you know world championships but I mean that is falling apart for a top athlete you know right. um and you know you don't see that in any other sport I mean you wouldn't see that in like elite marathoning i mean they're not running like three marathons a month you know oh uh, it was well uh, uh, and i i don't want to downplay robert killian at all but like it, a really good example of that was chicago that year like i remember killian going out and winning the super on saturday stayed yeah. up all night and did the 12-hour hurricane heat and then they finished the hurricane heat with him at the start line and then he won the sprint yep <laughs> i was there that weekend and it was you know, but you look at his accomplishments since that season, and there's definitely been a noticeable drop. You know, and I think another athlete that's kind of similar to that that we're that I'm you know getting a little concerned about is Raya. You know, she came oh, yeah. out with an incredible season, first time at World's Toughest Mudder, takes the win, like slaughters it for the win, wins. I think mm-hmm. it was something like she had won every single race of the season you know, except for like maybe one and then had an injury. And now we're seeing her kind of struggle coming into this year again. So I wonder how that's going to play out for her this year. Yeah. I mean, and go ahead, Jacob. Oh, no, I think I want to counter this. I don't want to say like to play down Rhea or Killian. Once again, they're phenomenal athletes Mm -hmm. and the game is always changing is the thing. But it's more so like from my end, it's injury prevention because I look at things like Rhea Strava and she's getting like, I think she's over like 700 miles this year already oh, ran. Yeah. That's insane. And it's, it, it's just, it's just incredible. But, well, you know, you, figure too, you know, like she's, yeah, I mean, she's putting in 90 plus mile weeks, most weeks, um, yeah. you know, tons of vertical and at altitude. So you figure. Oh, her, yeah. her 90 miles, because of it, it's at altitude and it's a lot of uh, incline, would be equivalent to – no bullshit, pro- hours-wise, if you look at it, it's equivalent to about 130, 140 miles a week. Gosh, um, it's just insane. It's just flat, insane. Of a flat runner. And um, that alone you know, is, is rough because altitude has its benefits, but it also mm. is rough on the body when you're training at a high intensity and training at high – volume time after time time after exactly it's Um, it's that depth over distance really absolutely and what what concerns me is i guess maybe i can see it i mean i've always been this way a bit but like i guess i can pull back and see it more from the health standpoint now that i have something like arbc that how much damage are these athletes doing to their body that they can't see yet it's one thing to have an injury it's one thing to you know tweak an achilles or something that you know that's kind of like you know whatever that's on the surface mm-hmm. but like 20 years from now like what kind oh, of absolutely. issues can these will these athletes come down with and you know it's it wouldn't surprise me knowing all these athletes in ocr knowing some of our friends to come down with stuff like i've got where other heart issues you know yeah 
No, absolutely. And that's why my big push is to for people to step back and maybe not race so much and you know, because some athletes do a good job of let's let's be honest. I mean, most people that do these races and travel all the time, I mean, think about the lifestyle wrapped around it. You go, you get shitty sleep, you know. Oh, absolutely. You, you get in the hotel late on Friday night, you, you know, you race Shitty Saturday hotel, morning. you're sleeping on the floor somewhere nine times out of ten. Yeah. After the race you're hanging around out in the hot sun. You're drinking beers. You're not, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's not necessarily the best, like actual healthy <laughs> lifestyle. You might be fit, but you're not necessarily healthy. You know? Right. Yeah. That's pretty fair. So it, it'll be interesting. Yeah. I mean, and the season, like I, I mean, being in starting in February, I mean, that's a long season. Like no other sport has that kind of season and it's going to be brutal. I mean, imagine if like football, you know, players played for 10 months, you know, Oh, I agree. And that, that was kind of one of my big things was the – I just feel like the off season wasn't so it, – it just didn't exist this year, it felt, between the Spartan Ultra Championship and then now going back in February and seeing Jacksonville. Yeah, because you, well, I mean, you figure World's Toughest was middle of uh, November. Middle of November, and so, then middle of December was the Ultra. Yeah, I mean, so yeah, I mean, some people took off like uh, literally maybe Two months. a couple weeks. Some people didn't take off any at all. Yep. Yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting. I mean, the more years, I mean, how long can you get away with it? You know, I mean, again, you don't see too many of these athletes who stayed at the top for years and years. Um, and really, in the grand scheme of things, even like those that have, it's still been a fairly short time frame. I mean, Atkins came on the sport in I think 2014, so I mean, yep. he yep. hasn't even been around that long in the grand scheme of things, five years. Um, and he's not exactly younger. You know, he's 30, I think, and yep. so. Um, there's very few young athletes in the sport outside of maybe VJ and a couple others. So it'll be interesting to see how it progresses. I mean, I'm definitely intrigued to see cause I, and I, I wrote that, like that said, um, a thing about being burnt out on the sport and it's, I don't know. I'm, I'm really intrigued to see what happens here in this next year, especially with also some of the changes that we've got, like in tough mutter, where we're seeing a lot of that competition pull back or maybe the drive for the competition, if you would. Um, especially at WTM and stuff. So I hope WTM is still uh, a challenging and great race. And I hope it, but I hope the competition doesn't entirely die there. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, what I thought would be cool and Spartans kind of seeming to like maybe get there a little bit. But what I've always thought would be cool is if Spartan could do it. I mean, they'd be the one that would do it at this point since they're the big player in the you know field now, but the, um, would be to have regional, you know, regions. And then let's say you take some of your pro elite athletes from each region, they're on a team, but mm-hmm. then, then they would pick up regular everyday athletes underneath them in that region and, you know, age groupers or, you know, masters runners or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then that region would compete against other regions. And I, I mean, I think that would be a cool, exciting kind of CrossFit style almost. Yeah. I mean, it'd be like a cool element, like, you know, so it's almost like, okay, if like, Killian is in whatever region like you're on Killian's team and you can be just an age grouper but you know your points go towards his team or hit you know that region that'd be a cool model so I think a model like that would be pretty cool and I think it would continue progressing the sport so that you would so it would become kind of competitive I mean not everybody wants to be competitive but most people do I mean most of us are out there because they want we want to see how much better we can get oh absolutely Absolutely. So we're getting close here on our time. Um, 
I had some other weird things we could t- we were going to talk possibly talk about, but I'm, I think I'm going to drop that because <laughs> um, I like the way this is went. Um, yeah. But we still have Leah has a new segment here that when we bring on somebody, we're going to have the Brociar hot seat now. All right. Yep. So, so we're going to have sixty seconds of rapid fire questions and uh, kind of see what you're thinking. So it's, it's yes or no questions. This is the fun moment here. Mostly yes or no, uh, just short answers. Okay. Yeah. I will hit. I'll hit go. And Leah, you have one minute and five, four, three, two, one, go. What is your spirit animal? Bear. Best male athlete. Uh, ever. OCR. OCR Atkins. Crunchy or peanut butter? Crunchy or creamy peanut butter? Crunchy. Favorite personal race that you did? Uh, marathon pushing uh, with Team Hoyt. Nice. What was the best trip you've ever taken, personally or professionally? Best trip? I worked in Sri Lanka for three months with work one time, and that was pretty cool. Who would win in a Jello wrestling match, Benny or Hunter? Oh, Hunter, easy. <laughs> <laughs> Personal motto to live by? Uh, I don't know. Uh, don't suck, basically. <laughs> Favorite beer? Uh, probably Shinerbach. Most beneficial type of workout for a runner? Um, threshold. Simple Time. threshold type. Nice. Awesome. awesome. Well, we totally appreciate you joining Thank us. Thank you so and, much, and Dennis. Taking your time, Dennis. Yeah. How can people get a hold of you, social media or, or whatnot? Yeah. So, you know, the website's, uh, you know, dwendurranceproject.com, but then the um, you can find us on Facebook or Instagram, Endurance Project, Athletes or Endurance Project. Um, pretty much that's where you can find us. And if somebody's awesome. looking to join up with you, are there any – first month deal specials if they're interested yeah so obviously the first month's you know first month's like just five bucks and then from there after it's 25 a month so that's a deal um, can't really go can't really go wrong it's a pretty good deal regardless so you know if you want to just join us for a month and you don't like it you're only out basically a starbucks coffee and that's pretty much it and you get a whole month of training for five bucks (laughs) i mean let's face it all the cool kids are doing it both jacob and i are there so yeah exactly i've gotten quite a bit from it (laughs) absolutely Awesome, awesome. Well, we look forward to having you again here on the podcast, uh, Dennis. Um, yeah, and we'll we'll see everybody next week. Once again, thank you all of our viewers. Thank you for our sponsors. Um, yeah. And tune in next week yeah. for another great episode of the Supercast. If you like what you hear, leave us a review. Let us know. What oh you're yes, thinking. please, people, leave us reviews. People, please, please, <laughs> we love it. We love it. Yeah, great being on. Thanks for having me, guys. Thank you right. very thank much, you much, bud. Bye. This has been the BroCR Supercast, powered by BroCR Media. A big thank you to all of our sponsors and viewers like you. Thank you.